You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Okay. Who's ready to get started? How's everybody doing? Doing well? Good to see you all behind your masks. Praise the Lord. Oh, Casey and Julie, that worship today was just so good. So, so good. During worship, I was just getting overcome with a bunch of different thoughts. And I was just thinking how right now in my life, I get paid to go to church, but I would go to church even if I didn't get paid. I've, I've always gone to church ever since I was a little boy. My parents took me to church and there were some days that I just hated it. But somehow this value was given to me. Even when I didn't know I was receiving it, I was receiving something from the Lord and from the people of God that you actually, you honestly can't get it from another place. And I know there are a lot of downsides to the church. And I know there are a lot of um, confused representations. But for all of its shortcomings and for all of its hypocrisy and for all of its missteps up until this point, the church of Jesus Christ and its gathering in local settings is very, very important to our lives. And, and, I, I, and I would say this, there's a lot of reports and numbers about the decrease of the church in America. And I want to tell you this, none of those reports scare me. Because the church of Jesus Christ will transcend and it will go on through all of eternity. It may look different. It may be diminished in some degrees, but it is its reality will always go forth. So I don't know. I just felt led to say that to you this morning. My, my wife has been teaching me how to preach. She's been giving me hints and she says, if you start at your top gear, Andy, you've got nowhere else to go. So I'm trying to start down low so I can work up. So I'm not, I'm not on NyQuil right now. I'm just starting in a low gear, okay? So we can go somewhere together. But uh, yeah, cheers for Amy for helping me out. Um, I actually want to talk to you guys today about anxiety of all things. You know, there's a, there's a lot of anxiety. I mean, if you're, if you're aware of anything at all, you're observing the world. The world's been going absolutely bonkers lately. And, um, you know, our nation is under an, an intense amount of pressure. And what we're not only witnessing this, but we're experiencing it, you know, so it's not like we're necessarily observing from a distance, but we're, we're kind of in it, aren't we? And so with that 
that mix of between the pandemic and then the political atmosphere of the last year or so, I mean, it, it, it would be fair to say that people have been living under extreme pressure for a really long time. You know, you can go a week or two and have these little flashpoints of pressure. But when you go a long ways under pressure, it really does begin to have an effect on you, doesn't it? So uh, I just want to say this. Christians aren't that much different as other people that are experiencing the atmosphere. Like we don't always know how to respond to the world the way that we should or the way that Christ would. And sometimes we are even unaware of how we're responding or how we're acting or how we're behaving. And for many of us, we might be reacting to the world that we're living in in fear and anxiety, okay? And so when fear and anxiety are working in us, we should stop and ask ourselves the question, why am I afraid? We don't always know that we're afraid. Sometimes it's like a low-grade fever of anxiety, and you've gotten so used to going through your life and through your day that you've not stopped and asked, why am I so anxious? Why am I afraid? So fortunately for us, we are not left on our own. And Jesus speaks clearly to us regarding anxiety. All right. Before we get into that, I want to I want to point out a couple things to you. One way that I try to read the gospel is that I try to locate exactly what Jesus thinks, all right? It's a way of reading the Bible. It's a way of reading the Gospels. You, you focus on what is it that Jesus thinks? What is it that he believes? How is it that he acts? And how is it that he says that we should act? What is it that Jesus values and what does Jesus think about what we should be doing and speaking and thinking and behaving, all right? Because the reason why I read the Bible this way is that when I, I've discovered that when I can see clearly what the desire of Jesus is, then I know what to do, all right? This sounds really obvious, but sometimes it's not. We have to remind ourselves of this. Jesus's belief or Jesus's value or Jesus's desire should always be my aim. The thing that Jesus is thinking, saying, believing, and acting like should always be my aim. And what Jesus thinks and believe, believes is what I want to think and believe, all right? So Jesus is hard to pin down sometimes. I'll give you that. I'll admit that but not always. Sometimes he's very clear. We know what Jesus thought about fear. Jesus was very clear about it. He clearly says many times in the gospels, do not be afraid. You've heard this before. I know you have, but we're going to go over it again. So it's easy to hear what Jesus has to say, but 
it's also easy to not really hear what he's saying at all. But nevertheless, here's what I want to do today. I want to look at Luke chapter 12, if you have your Bible. I want to look at a passage that clearly guides us into the way of Jesus. And when we embrace this way, and when we take this way actually into our lives, it has the potential to drastically transform us from the way that we are to Christ-likeness. All right. When we bring the beliefs and values of Jesus into ourselves, we are actually changed into being who we really are. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We are focused on him. We're learning his ways and we're bringing those ways into our own lives. And then we change. And then when we change, the world around us changes. You don't have a lot of power to change the whole world. But you have all the power that you need to bring Christ's ways into your life so that you actually change and the world that you inhabit will change with you. If there's less fear in you, there's less fear in your world. If there's less anxiety inside of you, all of a sudden your world has less anxiety in it. The world has a whole lot of anxiety and fear in it right now because there's a whole lot of fear and anxiety inside of people and they're walking around emanating that fear and anxiety. So Jesus was massively concerned with you and I becoming less fearful and less anxious. He was massively concerned with you and I being free from the addictions of the ways of the world. See, there's a way that the world operates. There's a way that the world thinks. There's a way that the world behaves. It seems like it's the certain and obvious way to behave. That's why Jesus comes onto the scene and tells us a different way. He says, the world is filled with fear. Ye be not afraid. And not only does he just tell us to not be afraid, he actually shows us how. We're going to look at that, all right? So I love this. You can think about it this way. Jesus actually made us to be and to live and to move free from fear and anxiety. If, you, if you've got fear and anxiety operating inside of you right now, you're actually living outside of the way you are hardwired to live. Okay, Jesus is not telling people to be free from fear and anxiety because that's foreign to who they are. It's because it's actually who we were created to be. He's calling us into the fullness of our creation. So let's, let's take a look for a second at what Jesus thinks about becoming free from fear. Luke 12, beginning at verse 32, it goes like this. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, 
where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right? So, like I said earlier, when I'm reading the Gospels, I'm focusing on finding out what Jesus actually values, what he actually thinks, and what he actually believes. From this passage, we can see what he thinks and what he believes about a few things, all right? We can see from this passage that the most valuable thing in Jesus's hierarchy of values is the kingdom of God, all right? Jesus gives the highest priority to the kingdom of God, and he's announcing this good news that it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. He's not saying, I'm going to give you the kingdoms of the world. He's saying, I'm going to give you the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdoms of the world that you're, that are your way out of fear and anxiety. It's the kingdom of God. All promises associated with kingdoms of the world are temporary and they're unreliable, as we'll find out. But the kingdom of God is primary in Jesus's value system. And we can see that Jesus believes that our father giving us the kingdom is pleasurable. Jesus connects real pleasure with the kingdom of God. A lot of times we, we hear about the kingdom of God and we don't quite know what it means. But at least from this passage, we know that it's a good thing and it is a vessel of holy pleasure. All right. Jesus here in this passage is showing us that God's kingdom should be cause for us to become free from trusting in our pursuits of earthly treasure, all right? He's not saying that we shouldn't have earthly pursuits. He's saying we should not trust in those pursuits, right? So we can see from this passage that Jesus highly values that we not be addicted to depending upon money. We can see from this passage that Jesus highly values that we become free from our slavery to our possessions. We can see from this passage that Jesus believes that we live to give to the poor. He's connecting the pleasurable kingdom of God with us being free from our obsession with money, free from slavery to our possessions, and that we are free to give to the poor. It's very practical when you think about it. We can see that Jesus thinks that your heart is extremely important. And he believes that what you trust in, what you trust in determines where your heart is. What you trust in also determines the condition of your heart, all right? So this passage, it should lead us to consider this. If in this moment, and I'm talking about the moment that we all inhabit right now, this cultural moment of high anxiety, all kinds of confusion happening in the world right now from all kinds of directions, there's lots of justifiable cause to be anxious. If in this moment I find myself anxious or fearful, 
Maybe it's because I do not yet believe, think, act, speak, or have the values the way Jesus has. Jesus was not living in a time of cultural ease and peace. Jesus was talking to his followers in a world of great disruption and unrest. There was all kinds of atrocities happening at that time. He did not live in a vacuum. He did not live in a bubble. He wasn't talking to people that were living outside of the realm of human trouble and affliction. He was speaking directly into a world of tumult. He was speaking directly into a world where nations were being turned upside down. And he was speaking to his disciples, to his followers. It is possible for you to have peace and freedom from fear. And here is how to do it. All right. So maybe if I'm afraid right now, it's because I'm treasuring the wrong things and my heart is living in the wrong place. We see in these verses that what we treasure determines where our heart is. And what we treasure can often be the thing we're depending on, whether we know it or not. See, guys, this is why it's important to have the word of God living in your heart and mind. Because we go through our lives, and it's true, we have routines, right? We have habits, We get up in the morning, we go to bed at night, and in between, we have these modes of being, and sometimes those modes of being trap us into ways of thinking that produce anxiousness within us, and submitting ourselves to the words of Jesus, to the ways of Jesus, is actually a path outside of those unhealthy modes of anxiety and fear. So when the thing that we are depending on is threatened, we become anxious. When our hope is threatened, we become afraid. If my hope is money, I become afraid when there is a threat of losing my money. If my hope is in pleasure, I become afraid when there is a threat of losing pleasure. If my hope is in the kingdoms of this world and in their political power, I become afraid and anxious when there is a shaking of those kingdoms. When my heart is depending on the power of politics, I will become anxious and afraid when that power is threatened. Are you with me? Jesus is clearly telling us, that everything that you can gain in this world is only temporary. He is giving us the plain truth. The world is fallen and untrustworthy, and there is no way of ever fully stopping the moth, the rust, and thieves from threatening whatever it is that you are depending upon. Jesus said, doesn't say double down and protect what you're treasuring. 
He says, give up your untrustworthy treasure for the one that will never let you down. Jesus is actually in this passage. He is leading us to change. He's, he's leading us from one way of thinking to another way of thinking. He is leading us into being transformed. And he is clearly going after our hearts because our hearts is where our hope lives. When the thing that we hope in is threatened, our heart becomes afraid and anxious and hopeless. So here's another way of looking at this. All right. This is going to sound kind of weird, but in one sense, Jesus is calling you and I into hopelessness. He's calling us into hopelessness. He's saying in Luke 12, he's saying this, be hopeless in money. Be hopeless in power. Be hopeless in the kingdoms of this world. Do not hope in money. Do not hope in power. Do not hope in the kingdoms of this world. Don't treasure those things. Don't fill your heart with those things. Don't put your entire life effort into acquiring those things. The things of this world are always subject to being lost because they are temporary. And temporary things are not reliable. So, so here's the thing. We can have a healthy relationship with money and pleasure and politics, but we cannot, as followers of the Lord, trust in those things. Right? You can have a fine relationship with your money. You can have a fine relationship with the things that you enjoy in life. You can have a, a perfectly acceptable relationship with whatever political party that you're a part of. But none of those things are worthy of your trust because they are temporary. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. It's a guarantee. So when Jesus says to us, fear not little flock, he's not being poetic. He is giving us an, a practical vision of how to live our lives. Jesus is very practical, y'all. He's not pie in the sky theology guy. He is actually giving us steps to walk and things to do. Jesus is telling us that it is possible for you to actually live without being afraid or mad or angry or depressed all the time or discouraged or hopeless. He's telling you that you do not have to wait to die and go to heaven someday to be completely filled with the peace of God. You just have to stop treasuring the thing that can be taken from you and begin to treasure the thing that can never be taken from you. I love how practical Jesus is. He actually told us what to do. On so many issues, Jesus gives us the way to live. He spoke in ways that we can understand and he gave us things to do that would bring real actual change to our lives and ultimately to the world. So I will close the story that's also in Luke chapter 12. And it's, it's the parable of the rich fool. And you, you quite possibly might know the story, but before Jesus tells this parable, 
he begins to speak emphatically. He does not mince his words. He's not using a parable. He's not using poetry. He's not using metaphor. He's not using allegory. He's like, pay attention. I'm about to tell you something that's more important than you currently know. There's exclamation points in the text. I should tell you that. But he says this. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Okay? Now, the story or the parable of the rich fool, in this story, the guy is wealthy. If you don't know the story, I'll tell it to you. But it goes like this. A man finds out that he has so much wealth that he doesn't know where to put his possessions. So he tears down his old barns and he builds big new barns because he's accumulated so much pleasurable stuff unto himself that his plan goes from just having a lot of things to having more things, building bigger barns. And he says this out loud. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to collect all this stuff to myself and I'm going to live out my days in pleasure. And God took exception to that proclamation. He says, God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? It's a sobering story. But Jesus tells us the story of this man who had more than he needed, storing up wealth in barns, planning to live out his days in feasting and pleasure. And God took exception to his vanity and greed, and his life was required of him. This story should make some of us anxious if we find that we are addicted to the pleasures that wealth brings. But this parable is not meant to leave us in anxiety. It's meant to lead us to repentance and to changing. This story is actually so encouraging because Jesus is pointing to us the way that we should live. He says this, this is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself. I love this, but is not rich toward God. It's not rich toward God. Amy and I were driving in this morning and we started talking about that phrase. And we were like, man, don't you just love that phrase, rich toward God? I was like, man, that, just, that could mean so many different things, but that's how I want to live my life. I want to be rich toward God. I don't want to be afraid and, and manipulated by the forces of this world. I want my heart to be free from fear and anxiety to this degree that I'm walking through, not being worried about who's in control of the government or not being worried about who has what and who doesn't have what, or even being so consumed with what I do or don't have, but whatever I have, I'm not a rich man, but, but I have, I have ways that I can let the things that I have out of my life into somebody else's life in a life of generosity. But it's not just stuff, is it? It's our attitudes. I mean, how many of us need to be more generous with the grace that we extend to those around us? Have you been stingy with grace in your life? Have you been stingy with mercy? Have you been stingy with peace and love towards your fellow man? 
There are so many things that you can sow out of your life. But if your, if your heart is not filled with grace, is not filled with mercy, is not filled with the virtues of peace, the shalom of God, it is very difficult to give those things away, isn't it? But sometimes we have to take a leap of faith. Maybe you only have $20 in your checking account. This is not a message about money, by the way. This is, has nothing to do with money, but it has something. I mean, it, it's a little bit about money. But, but it just, it just seems to be that so much of the world is obsessed with what they have or don't have. And Jesus is saying, if you're, if you're making that your obsession, you are missing me. You are missing me. And the way to break free from that fear, the way to break free from that anxiety is to open your hands and give away what you have. I mean, Jesus is, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I have seen more homeless people in Charlotte than ever before. I don't know what's going on, but it is crazy. But I, I think it used to be that the poor people were in places that I just couldn't see. They are in front of us right now. We have all kinds of opportunity to get free from fear and anxiety in our own lives by becoming conduits. The way Jesus says in Luke 12, 32 through 34, sell your possessions and give to the poor. So many of us want to take some kind of weird, strange path to the spiritual life that has very little to do with what Jesus was talking about ever in the scripture. You know, the path to God is not a 65-minute worship service. I mean, it can include that. I love to sing. I will always stand. I love worship. It's in my heart. I will always worship Jesus. But if I'm only doing that and not applying the beliefs and acts of Jesus to my life, I am not doing the things that Jesus said that we should do. This wonderful phrase, rich toward God, it is really about pointing us to the good life. And let me, let me close with this. I know I already used that phrase. It's a bad phrase for preachers to use. Being rich toward God can be described this way. Your money and possessions are not your obsession, and they flow freely out of your hands to the poor. Your hope and your comfort are not in things. You may have things, but they do not have you. If wealth comes into your hands, you aim at never being a slave to your wealth. You stay free from fear and anxiety of losing your money and possessions by being rich toward God. Being rich towards God is life's greatest pleasure. It helps other people in real ways, and it frees you from being consumed by fear and anxiety. Being rich toward God is a really, really good way to dislodge yourself from fear and anxiety. Being rich toward God in every area of your life is how we reveal King God's kingdom in the earth. I, I, I want to say this. This would be a really good practice for you this week because this is so practical. Take this phrase, being rich toward God, and apply it to the person in your life 
who thinks the exact opposite than you, politically speaking. Yeah, find, find somebody in your life who just annoys the fire out of you with the way they think about politics and dislodge yourself from the fear and anxiety of what those people think by being rich towards God in that person. That is, that is an actual way to be a Christian. We are not a people who are Christians on theory. We are bringing the concrete blessing of the kingdom of God into a world that desperately needs it. And how we do that is we act and think differently than people in the world. We flow with a different spirit. My friend Adam Russell preached this message last week. We're in the garden. Jesus uh, is being arrested by the soldiers. And, and Peter takes his sword out of his belt. And he cuts the ear off of the servants of one of the Pharisees. And I, he just he described it this way. I thought it was so powerful. It's like who that servant was, he represented the enemy to Jesus and his friends. He was on his way to arrest and eventually kill Jesus. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, put away your sword. That's not what we're doing. That is not the plan. We are moving in an opposite spirit. We're doing a different thing than the world is doing. The world expects a sword, but we're coming with a different thing. And when we take up our swords and cut off the ears of the enemy, we're actually, in a way, removing their ability to hear the gospel. We're, we're removing their ability to hear the thing that will actually change this nation. So being rich toward God in every area of your life is how we reveal God's kingdom in concrete ways in the earth. We are a people who are being formed in the image of Christ. And we believe what Jesus believes. We think the way that Jesus thinks. We act like Jesus acts. We are his followers and we follow his way. We change our minds from the way that we were thinking to the way that Jesus is thinking. Amen? Lord, this is our prayer today. That today we would receive grace to follow and practice your way today. How many of you struggle with anxiety and fear? <laughs> I'm the guy who's, if his wife is 30 minutes late, she's likely dead on the side of the road. Like that goes through my head. It's like a sickness sometimes. 
and we can confess it. And I'll lead us in a prayer of confession for it this morning because that was really powerful. There's a lot to be afraid of. It's a lot to have anxiety about. I'm afraid for our nation. I have anxiety for our nation. I have anxiety for, you know, catching a disease. My wife's going through chemo for breast cancer. I have fear and anxiety. And uh, let me take this opportunity to thank you, Queen City Church, for all the outpouring of love, for gifts, for prayers, for us and our family. It has held us up. We have felt it. Thank you so much. She's doing great. She's not here this morning. She's doing great. Um, I'm going to lead us in communion, which is the great fear killer. (laughs) This sacrament, this practice, this discipline is the great anxiety killer. Because communion can only be done in presentness, in nowness. And I've said this before. You can call it communion. You can call it the Lord's Supper. You can call it the Eucharist. The great name for it, the ancient church called it the presence, the nowness. It's the presence of God, which we think about the inhabitation of God, but it's the nowness of God. Because think about fear and anxiety. It is only about the future. Fear, it cannot literally live in the present. It is only about the future. I'll do a quick thought experiment to show you what I mean. If you're lying in bed and it's dark, you hear a creak. You are full of fear. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of that noise. What you're actually afraid of is what might happen to you. I'm afraid that Freddy Krueger is coming around the corner and he's going to kill me. Think that through. What if Freddy Krueger comes into your room and stands over you? You are no longer afraid that Freddy Krueger is coming in. This thing in the future is now your present. Now you have to act. You have to engage with Freddy Krueger. Your fear might transfer. Well, I'm now afraid of what he might do to me. I'm afraid of he might kill me. I'm afraid he might kidnap me. The fear is always something in the future. If that fear hits us, we now have to engage with it. We have to contend with it. We have to go through it. It is now part of our present. So when we're racked with fear and anxiety, just remember that is in the future. And the future is not where God is. God is in the present, is in the nowness. So as we engage with the presence, as we engage with the body and blood of Christ in the nowness, this is a really good practical way we can just be present, be still, be free from fear and anxiety. So Lord, we take this stillness this presentness. We confess our fear. I confess my fear, which has been substantial. <laughs> I confess it. There's an ancient prayer, several thousand year old, several thousand years old, that says, Almighty God, unto you all hearts are open, all desires known. And from you, no secrets are hid. No fears are hid. No anxieties are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord.
And Lord, we confess our sin. We confess our anxiety. We confess our fear. We confess the stinginess of grace. What a great challenge to be abundant with our grace. What a great fear killer that can be. Lord, we accept your forgiveness. Lord, let that forgiveness just wash into our bodies. Let us feel the calm as our hearts slow, as our brain slows, as our breath slows. Thank you. And even the words of the liturgical prayers for communion, remember, they reinforce this idea of presentness. It's very intentional that these ancient prayers say, this water is poured into this cup, the chalice of salvation, recalling the water which flowed from the side of the Son of God. May the mingling of this water and wine, which are now inseparable, remind us that Christ is being joined to our humanity and our humanity is being joined to his deity never to be separated. This isn't something that happened or will happen. It is happening now in the present. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread in his hands and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this as a remembrance for me. You have your wafer. Go ahead and and break it. Do the act of actually breaking in half and let the picture of that hit us. This is the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. Likewise, after they had eaten, he took the cup and he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this as a remembrance for me. He brought up the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. And I encourage you, moms and dads, get extra and lead your children in this. Share with them the presentness of the body and blood of Christ and have it be a meaningful time for your family, either right away or take it home. Set aside time. Lead your kids in this sacrament. I want to close with a prayer, another ancient prayer. (laughs) This one's actually from 1933. It was written. I have been thinking about it a lot. It is one of my favorite written prayers, and it was written by the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a very famous prayer called the Serenity Prayer. Think of serenity as this divine peace. And I'm going to pray this. Let it form us. Let it, let it lead us this week into a week of presentness, living in that forgiveness and free from anxiety. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, 
taking as Christ did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make things right if I surrender to his will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and ever in the next. Amen. Go in peace. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.